Yeah, we are on our last sermon. We're going to close out Acts tonight. We're in Acts chapter 28. And uh, Paul is in Rome. It's been a long road. He's now an eight-hour plane ride from where he started in (laughs) Jerusalem. And he got there by foot. And he went all the way back to Jerusalem and then took a really long, hard boat ride where he almost died. And if not for the protection of God, then he probably would have died. But uh, Jesus has called him to Rome, and that's where he is now. We can pick it up in verse 17. It says, And it came to pass. And that's actually our, our title for tonight, It Came to Pass. It's a phrase that, kind of an old-timey phrase, some of your Bible probably don't even say, It Came to Pass. But it's just a phrase that I've always liked. It's just one of those things, like, It Came to Pass. And it's like, everything does, right? All the good things have to end. All the bad things, thank God, will end. This study tonight is going to... It came to pass. And hopefully we can glean some of the wisdom and some of what God's trying to teach us through everything that comes to pass. But that's where we're at. It came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. And Paul here is going to do something that is pretty tough and can be super awkward to do. He's going to call them all together, and it's it's one of those things that, like, before we get into it, just always ask a few questions. Have you ever wondered if people are talking about you behind your back? Or yes. what they're saying? Yeah. yeah? <laughs> Have you ever had a friend who's a friend of somebody who hates you, and you're kind of not sure what they're saying behind your back? Yes. <laughs> you're not sure what your friend thinks of you because they're kind of hanging out with this person who hates you? It's kind of like, it's kind of like that. Or have you ever been in a situation where you have just wondered what people have thought of you? Yes. Yeah. Paul here is simply going to, he's just going to bring up the elephant in the room. He's just going to like, let's talk about it. He's going to have them over and have a conversation. And as I was like thinking and praying and studying about this yesterday, yesterday on my lunch break, I was reading this and thinking about how Paul does this and how cool it is. And it actually, like, became effective in my life, like, immediately, because as I was doing this on my lunch break, earlier in the morning, I had called one of our employees, and I was, like, trying to figure out and troubleshoot this issue we're having. And she couldn't figure it out. And, like, the whole store that she works at, like, all the employees are really frustrating me lately. And so I was, like, just, like, had this tone about me. And, and then when I kind of got off the phone, I was like, all right, yeah, yeah keep up the good work. And I hung up, and the general manager of the whole company was sitting there, and she's laughing at me. She's like, that was the most, like, non-genuine keep-up-the-good-work I've ever heard. Mm. And I was like, oh, shoot. So, like, as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, shoot, like, that wasn't good, that wasn't loving, that wasn't right, you know. Because the girl who I was talking to is, like, the one girl at that location who is actually doing a good job. That's why I said, like, hey, keep up the good work. I wasn't trying to say, like, hey, stop sucking. But that's totally, like, how it came off. So I just went back to the general manager and the people who were in the room. I was like, hey, sorry for having that tone. That girl actually is doing a great job. That's why I was trying to encourage her, but I was like, my tone was bad. So my point is, it can be really hard to communicate in those awkward moments or about those awkward uh, situations, but it can also be very healing to the people who you're talking to, and it can be very enlightening when you're going to do what Paul here does, where it's like, I, I, you know... Jesus told me to come 
from Jerusalem to Rome, and Jesus said, you're going to minister in Rome just like you did in Jerusalem. So Paul knows he has some hard times coming. He knows some bad stuff is going to come, and he's just like, you know what? Let's just, like, bring up the elephant and get this show on the road. Let's let's start this. This is why I'm here. So let's make this happen. So he calls all the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, and I have a little note here that this is attributing this to the Jews, but the actual phrase, it means the ruling authorities, which very easily could have been Festus, who was about to hand Paul over to the Jews. He was like, hey, how about we move your trial along? And that's when Paul was like, I appeal to Caesar, because he knew that he was innocent, and he knew Festus knew he was innocent, and that's when he appealed. So uh, it says, uh, when the ruling authorities spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, (laughs) We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoke any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, speaking of Christianity there, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So again, it's a very eye-opening, healing, just bring up the elephant, and it's like, we haven't heard anything negative about you. And it's like, oh, all right, like, interesting. And it's it's funny to see their attitude too, right? They're, they're like, controversy? Like, we've heard Christianity spoken against everywhere. What's this controversy? We want to hear it straight from you. And this can be a good thing when you're researching. Sometimes to whatever you're researching, maybe read the other side to understand as long as you're doing it with wisdom and, you know, making sure you're not getting pulled into that false teaching. But it can also be a very foolish thing. Like, ooh, controversy. I just want to hear the drama. I want to hear the bad news. I want to, I'm so curious about it because it's controversial. It can be a very foolish mindset and it can get you in a lot of trouble. But here, it's actually going to make it so they can hear the truth. They can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ by them wanting to hear about this controversy straight from Paul. Verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging. Now remember, he when he arrived into Rome, all the other prisoners that came from Jerusalem, they were all thrown into prison, but Paul the prisoner who was in charge of Paul on that trip said, I'm going to vouch for him. He can stay at my place. So he's not in prison with all the other prisoners. He's actually staying in this guard's house. So that's where he has all these people over to have a Bible study. They don't necessarily, they probably knew that they were going to some sort of Bible study, but they didn't know exactly what they were going to sign up for. Because as we continue here, They come to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. 
here again we see Paul reasoning from the scriptures, preaching from the scriptures. He's very scripturally based. That's always how he approaches every situation, especially when he's about to preach. And he basically goes from dusk till dawn. He does another Bible study marathon, how Dave does once a year. Paul is doing here once again. And I only go for 40 minutes to an hour, so thanks for hanging in there. Uh, but I'm not going to go from dusk till dawn. I'm not going to keep you up all night. But Paul, I mean, he's long-winded. He, he really goes for it. And it, it reminds me here, the way this is phrased in verse 23, it reminds me of that road to Emmaus that Jesus showed up to those guys walking, and he has that super long walk with them and a long conversation. And the Bible says that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I myself have said many times, and many have said this before too, but it's like, man, to be on that road, right? To, to hear what Jesus actually said and where he is actually pulling from. I was thinking about it. Paul here, he does that same thing, that same pretty similar Bible study, I'm sure, using a lot of the same scriptures. And it's funny that you can look at all of his other letters, and many of those scriptures are in his other letters. Right? From Moses all the way through all the prophets. He, Paul, he writes about creation, how Jesus was part of creation, how the, the fall of man and how Jesus was there, how Jesus was in the wilderness with the Israelites. There's, these types of things are all throughout Paul's letters. So we can actually be a part of, as we study the Bible, be a part of that, that conversation, be a part of that Bible study a little bit and see like, oh, these are the things that he was sharing in a Bible study like this. Verse 24, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. So after this believing and not believing, and there's a bit of a discussion, some disagreement, Paul ends his Bible study with this, this one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their heart, or their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Paul just said a ton right there. And I just kind of wanted to ask the question, what comes to your mind in reading those verses? Jesus when he talks about, um, you know, the same exact thing, like, you hear, but you don't really hear, and you're seeing with your end there, and the, the um, Pharisees are like, are you telling us that you can't see? And he was like, if you couldn't see, mm. then you would actually see. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Any other thoughts? I mean, we also spoke in his parables, too. Like people didn't understand. Be like, what is this guy talking about? 
<laughs> and it wasn't like really until the disciples asked him, like, what does this mean? Mm. That it was revealed to them. And basically kind of like again with the Pharisees, the Pharisees themselves are seeing Jesus. Mm. But they're not believing. Like, seeing his they're miracles. They're seeing everything that he's doing and hearing him say that he's God pretty much. That he's their savior and they're like, yeah, right. Like they're mm. they're just completely not believing at all. And it's it's like exactly kind of like what I, Isaiah was talking about. Yeah. Was, yeah, know, we talked a few weeks back about how God wants us to choose him. He wants us to choose to love him. We watched that Robert Zacharias thing, right? You have that choice because you have love, right? If he were to show all of his glory, that's not a choice. It's like, well, yeah, I choose that. And so he kind of makes it like he opens it up, but he wants it to be a choice of love. Any other thoughts before we move on? Yeah. It actually is getting me thinking about kind of a lot of stuff that I've observed over the years. But, you know, the listening of the heart, I think, is kind of the focus of that, you know, what's being said there. Because, yeah, you know, listening or even seeing, you know, in the physical, if, like, your heart doesn't understand it, if you don't, Mm. you know, really retain it in your heart, it doesn't, like, it doesn't mean anything. It's like David, you know, through all of his sin, he still is after God's heart because even in all of his sin, his heart did not change. When Saul, his heart drastically changed. So it's like, uh, what I'm thinking about in the past is like, we've had... I mean, just today we were doing kind of a tally of all the people that have come through the schools in Wyland. It's like almost like 150 people. And I was looking at all of them today, at the ones that are still okay and the ones that are not okay. Mm. And they all heard the exact same things. They saw the exact type of stuff. But the heart was different in the people that we were going through it. Like, you know, I was just thinking about it today, but it, that's why this verse is like, it's pretty strong actually, because it's like, if, you know, if your heart doesn't retain the love of God, you can see the love of God and the acts of love and try to say that you know what love is, but God is love. And that is like the thing that changes your heart is when your heart like accepts what that actually is. But Anyway, like I'm just I'm just thinking about it in a like no, it's good. in the way that like <clears throat> I like how he says the Holy Spirit said this through the prophet. Mm-hmm. It's like it was at work back then and it's right here in front of your faces and the difference between the people who accepted it at this time is like it was a heart issue. They all had the same stuff right before them to look at, to analyze, to argue about. Yeah. But the heart made all the difference. But it's like, you know, I think we throw it around there a lot, like, you know, the heart this or the heart that, but it's like, like, after what I saw today, I'm like, man, it really, like, we were seeing those signs of a hardened heart in these people before they went home. I mean, it was, it's, it was there, but it's like, 
don't know. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a truth that's not necessarily always easy to think about because we can't actually know the heart. Only only mm-hmm. God really knows what's gonna happen. But I don't know, it's just it's super good though. Yeah. It's really good. I was second what you were saying, like when we were reading this, I was thinking of last week when we wrote uh, when we all read he Hebrews chapter three. Yeah. That's just what came to mind. Definitely. Exactly that, right? Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Everything you guys said, by the way, is basically where we're going, so it's good stuff. Really good stuff. Don't worry, we're going to come back and finish Acts. Promise done. Promise. <laughs> Wait, two more verses, and we're not gonna read. <laughs> that would be a day move. Yeah, yeah totally. That's why I, I called him no, up for the Bible study marathon. I was like, "Dude, weren't you gonna?" And we'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Eight, right? Luke chapter eight, starting in verse four. It says, and when a great multitude had gathered. And they had come to him from every city. He spoke by a parable. Who's listening? Me. <laughs> it's not just, us to just consider. Oh. <laughs> we apply this you, parable. The way you said it, you're like, who's listening? Who's listening? I was like, yeah, I'm, listening. I am. <laughs> like, Whoa, like, I'm not there. Who's <laughs> gathering here? Uh, who's gathering? Yeah. A massive amount of people. Sometimes we apply this. And we think he's talking to the Pharisees, but it's a massive crowd, big multitude that he's speaking to here, okay? He spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell on the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop of a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9, Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So he quotes the same verse that Paul just used at the end of Acts 28 there. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in the time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with 
patience, that is endurance. That word patience um, also being translated endurance, which again we talked about last week, like Anthony brought up, that endurance is a requirement and a condition of our salvation. Now this is obviously a very complicated topic because we all know, and it's sort of bedrock, foundational, right? We are saved by grace through faith. We know that. That is absolutely 100% incontrovertibly true. Okay, however, many have done a disservice to Scripture, and they've they stopped there. And they haven't, you know, considered the whole counsel of God. None of the New Testament writers stopped there. None of them. Uh, in fact, their, their emphasis, of course, is you're saved through faith. Like, that's their emphasis. They always, that's what they're pushing. You're saved by grace through faith. That's the main push. But they, all of them, go on to say, therefore live worthy of the calling for which you are called. God has saved you, and if you really believed that, then you would want to serve him. Like, wow, God, I do not deserve, this is a gracious thing. I deserve death, and you saved me. I want to, I want to serve you. Right? Live worthy of that calling. Walk in the Spirit is some of the other language. It's your reasonable service. You're created in Christ Jesus, a new man, to do good works, which God has prepared for you beforehand. Walk in them. Right? Do those good works. Continue to do them. Continue to walk in them. Bear fruit. James goes so far to say that your works do justify you. He literally says, not by faith alone, but also by works. When your works are working with faith, and, and that's the key, not that our works can save us because our works, right, especially if we have no faith, they're filthy, they're disgusting, they're trash, they're garbage, they're worthless. Our works are nothing. But faith without works is useless. That's James' point. That's all of the New Testament writers. They all agree in this. It's the works of God prepared beforehand, though. Those things that you do. It's obedience to him. That's what bears fruit. Not, oh, I'm just going to do whatever I think is right. But what is God telling me to do? Am I following his word? Am I, am I obeying what he has for me to say and do? His work, that's what we continue in. That's walking in the Spirit. Do it. Do his work. Endure in it, even through all riches, comfort, and even torture. Like, fulfill everything that he asks you to fulfill, because when you do those things, when you walk in those things, you fulfill your faith. This series has been called The Works of God Through His People, and that's what we've been seeing unfold. And that's what our my encouragement is to you, to, to find out what God's works are for you that He's prepared beforehand so you can walk in them, so you can continue in faith and continue in obedience and kind of pedal that bike along. If you just pedal in one side, you're going to kind of go in circles, but you got to do faith and obedience. That's how, that's how this life of a Christian works. And that's what we've been studying here in Acts. And at the end of Acts here, Paul is 
continuing in God's work. He's in Rome and he's telling the Israelites that they're choosing to reject God. That's why he quotes Isaiah there. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly. This is you. That's basically what he's saying. If you're rejecting what I'm saying, this is you. That's why that warning is there. They're choosing to reject what God is doing. He gets more into this in the letter that he writes to the Romans, right? He's in Rome speaking to them face to face, but he also wrote a letter to the Romans. And if we quickly go there, don't worry, we will be back to uh, Acts more permanently. Just teasing you guys now. <laughs> Romans 9. Right at the end of Romans 9. Paul's basically wrapping up what he has to say to the Romans. Romans 1 through 11 is his point of writing to the Romans. And then 12 through 16 is like, okay, now that that's explained, here's how you need to act as a Christian. Here's how you need to treat each other. Here's how you need to do life, right? But 9, I mean, 1 through 11 is all his point of writing. And so what we're going to look at now is basically him wrapping up everything he's been talking about. So we're going to move a little bit quickly. And if we need to unpack it or if you guys want to talk about it, obviously we can do that. But here we go in Romans chapter 9, verse 30. It says, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles did not pursue righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Who's that? Jesus. Amen. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Let's skip down, just for time's sake, to verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? This is speaking of Israel, they. Have they not heard? He's speaking of the the Israelites. Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. He quotes Psalms and First Kings here. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to je- jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I say then, has God cast away his people? Paul's asking for the conclusion of the point that he just made. God continually seeks after a disobedient and contrary people. Has he cast them away? They have never been. (laughs) Certainly not. Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. 
God has not cast away his people, whom he foreknew. There's that word again. Uh, it just means to know beforehand. And here he is specifically and very clearly speaking of the Jews. He did not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. That is faithfulness. That is endurance, right? Everybody else is bowing the knee. Everybody else is being disobedient. And they're like, I ain't doing that because I have faith in God and I'm faithful to him. Therefore, I can't bow my knee to another God. That is faithfulness. Verse 5. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Romans 5 tells us that we're granted access into God's grace by faith. So God chooses to give grace, right? Yes, he has mercy on whomever he has mercy, but he also tells us how to get that mercy. He tells us how to get into grace, and that is through faith. He's already explained a lot of this stuff. I'm just kind of like moving on through here. Verse 6, And if by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. Lots of words, a little bit confusing. But he's just trying to make clear again that you are saved, and it's because of the grace of God. Not because you did a bunch of stuff that's good, or you, even you did a bunch of stuff that God wanted you to do, right? It's not just it's not you doing stuff. It's through faith, and then God gives you things to do, and walking in those things. Verse 7. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. This word elect here, as we've talked about before, is the word eclectos in the Greek, and it can also be translated, and my opinion is that a better translation would be choice or excellent, and that doesn't mean that we are called excellent, again, because of anything that we have done, but it's because through the grace of God, we have received the righteousness of Christ, and yeah, we are promised glory. That's excellent. I don't feel excellent, but that's what God says of us. If we are faithful to him, he, he says, you are my choice ones. You are my own special people, as he said in Peter. All right? Jesus made it possible for us to attain to glory. This word blinded can also be translated hardened. Verse 8, just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling, stumbling block, and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, and bow their back always. This is sounding pretty bleak for the Israelites. But keep on reading. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Paul's doing the same thing here in Romans that he's doing back in Acts. He's warning them in hopes that they choose to have faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, 
Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Um, he's going to then speak directly to the Gentiles, and he's going to say that they're wild olive branches, and that they're going to be grafted into the natural tree. We're going to skip down a little bit because we're going to try and stay on target and for time's sake. Uh, we can skip down to verse 19. It says, You say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, what does that mean? If they turn from their unbelief, if they choose to have faith, right? If they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Praise God. Amazing. And that is why Paul is fighting for them in the book of Acts. That's why now we can turn back to verse 28 of chapter 28 of Acts. It's why he's fighting for them, and it's why he says, Therefore let it be known to you, that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Paul is trying to provoke them to jealousy, so they turn from their unbelief and have faith in what he's saying. He's saying, just like Jesus said in, in the story of the, the marriage supper, right? He invites them all, none of them come. He says, go into the highways and byways, invite everybody else then. They don't want to come, fine. And that's what we're looking at. But here it's very, very clear that God does that, yes, to open the doors to us, the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, but also to open it back up to provoke them to jealousy, to try and get them back into his kingdom. It's an amazing and glorious thing that God is doing to bring more people into his kingdom. And that's why we're allowed to sit at his table. And that's why we are going to be glorified with Jesus and have eternity with our Savior. Because the Jews rejected them. And we are allowed into that grace in order to bring them in also. To provoke them to jealousy that they might believe. Verse 29 of Acts 28. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. So he eventually moves out of that guard's house, gets his own place. Still a prisoner, but he's running his own house, probably on house arrest, but hosting Bible studies, having people over, dinner parties. He's <laughs> got his own spot. It's pretty awesome. His own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Paul continues not only in faith, but to proclaim and teach all things pertaining to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He continued to do God's works. 
and Luke and none of the Bible tells us how Paul's life ends. That's sort of where it's left. Nobody, nobody bothered him. He's in his own house. No one forbidding him to meet with people, preach the gospel, spread the word. But the events leading up to and surrounding Paul's death would have been very well known to Luke and everybody in Rome at that time. Paul dwelled in his own rented house for two years, and that brings us right up to the time of 64 to 65 AD, probably 64 AD. And history outside of the Bible records that in the year 64 AD, that's when the emperor Nero is ruling, and a massive fire breaks out in Rome. And there's stories of Emperor Nero playing some sort of stringed instrument or violin or something while his city burns. Many believe that Nero was actually responsible for that fire. He started the fire or told people to start that fire so it could all burn down and he could put a palace there, which he ended up doing. All the space that he burned down, he built whatever he wanted, all these grandiose things. And many thought that he actually started it in order to be able to do those things. After Rome burned, that is when Nero really started to persecute, and he blamed the Christians publicly, loudly, and said, they started the fire. They're the reason. They're the you know scourge of the earth. They need to die. And he, he blamed Paul and Peter most of all. And again, history outside of the Bible records that it was Nero who had them both beheaded in Rome. And Nero, he continued to harden his heart because we, we know that Paul stood in front of him, right? The Bible doesn't record Paul standing in front of Nero, but God said multiple times, you must stand before Caesar. So we know it happened. And maybe that's why he hardened his heart. Maybe that's why he hated Christians so much. But he continued in that hard heart and those wicked things that he was doing. He continued to torture Christians in the worst ways imaginable. He would light his garden by the burning bodies of Christians. He would just do these wicked, evil things. He loved to watch Christians suffer. And he did some, again, some of the worst things. And he continued in that hardness, and he continued to torture and persecute Christians until he took his own life a few years after uh, the death of Paul, a few years after that fire. And all the while... Right? And all the way up, even to this day, Christians have continued in the work of God. Right? Even when Nero was doing that, the word of God was spreading. People were coming to the faith. People were coming to believe. He thought he was like wiping them from the earth. He was just spreading Christianity. And more and more people came to know the truth. And like I said, all the way up until this day, the work of God has continued and his people have continued to proclaim the gospel and bring many into the kingdom of God. And that's, again, my my hope in this series and in going through Acts is that you will see how awesome God is, how his protection is over his people, and how he empowers us to do specific jobs. Each one of us has a different gift. Each one of us has a different calling. Each one of us has a different job and and you know, pile of works that God has prepared beforehand for us to do. And so my encouragement to you at the end of this series is that you would walk in them. Ask God what, how you can obey him. How can you live worthy of that calling? 
what is it that he has you to do? You know? And when you ask that, God will give you stuff. And I don't want you to, you know, poo-poo on your calling. Maybe it's not being Paul and, like, literally spreading the gospel throughout all of the known world at that time. Each of our calling is different, and we're not to reject that or get mad at it, but accept it and say, God, thank you for letting me be a part of your will and be a part of your plan. So with that, I'll close in prayer, and we can have some brownies and ice cream. Uh, Dear Father, thank you so much for your word and for bringing it to us all. God, and I pray that you will empower us, send your Holy Spirit to speak to us and tell us what those things are that you want us to do so that we can walk in them, so that we can fulfill your word, fulfill your purpose, and fulfill our faith. God, I pray that you will shine in and through us and help everybody that we come in contact with. Help us just be self-aware enough to know if we need to control our tone or if we need to say a certain thing at a certain time, whatever that thing is, God, I pray that we would just be in tune with your spirit and be able to hear from you even in those hard moments so that we can be glorifying to you and bring more people into the knowledge of the truth. God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for this series and thank you for the honor you've given me to teach it. And I pray that you bless the rest of this evening and the fellowship that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One thing I was thinking about when you read that verse about the branches being grafted back in uh, is the other passage in the Bible, which actually we read recently, but I can't remember if it's in Romans 2, um, where it talks about if someone has like tasted the goodness of the Holy Spirit and seen and like partaken of the Spirit or whatever, and then rejects God, then he like can't come back in because you're making God... Like, can God be raised from the dead again? Yeah. And things like that. So is this one about the branches specifically pointing to the Jews are not cut off forever? It's saying they can be grafted back right. in. It's because not saying they saved people were cut off right. and then grafted back in again and then cut off and grafted back in again. Like So the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on all who believe. Right? Yeah. And so the Israelites... They didn't believe. They didn't taste of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's, that's Hebrews 6 that you're talking about. All those who have tasted. That's right. And so what he's saying there is, yeah, they've been cut off and we've been grafted. And we're, our, you know, to use the weird weird language of earlier in Romans, you know, we're, our hearts have been circumcised, right? We are, we are, we've been made Israelites inwardly, right? And so even those who are Israelites by flesh... They're being cut off from the tree of Israelites because Israel means praise. They're not praising God. You're cut off. But if you turn from your unbelief, if you believe in God, you are the praise of God and you're grafted back in. So, yeah. Good question. <laughs>